As we discussed last week, uh, the biological mother of a nine-year-old girl who abused her daughter together with her husband, the girl's stepfather, and she reportedly said during her first uh, questioning that she had failed to control her emotions and she feels sorry for her daughter and her husband before being sent to the prosecution yesterday. Uh, Still a lot of public outrage uh, with this. And we're seeing a series of child abuse cases that have uh, disturbed many Koreans. But uh, as was pointed out last week, it's not a problem that is just limited to South Korea. There was a recent report by the United Nations that found out that nearly half of all children around the world are at risk of physical, sexual, and psychological abuse based on a survey of some 1,000 policy experts from 2018 to last year, and that around 40,000 children died due to abuse in the year 2017 alone. So uh, we're going to discuss this topic in further detail uh, with Professor Choi Young from Hongik University College of Law. Professor Cho, good morning. Thank you for joining us once again. Good morning, Henry. So uh, a a bit of a recap or a continuation of what we talked about last week. Uh, We we talked about the penalty for the perpetrators of uh, child abuse. I I know a lot of people feel that the the sentencing guidelines are too lenient, but um, uh, the the counter to that is that, uh, well, uh, maybe, maybe not, but it is also how strictly uh, these uh, guidelines are applied, right? Once the, the sentencing comes out and if the, indeed these perpetrators are, are convicted. Only 11% apparently of child abuse perpetrators were given prison sentences in 2018. Now, maybe some of them were innocent uh, or, you know, maybe there were some other extenuating circumstances. But uh, that does seem like a very low number. And uh, nearly 42% had their terms Suspended. So again, I, I, we're going to talk about the social aspects of it, the political aspects of it. But just from as a legal expert, uh, what gives here? Just note that this data actually is from 2018, which is the year uh, when the sentencing guidelines for child abuse offences were actually strengthened. Mm. Um, so before that, uh, that that amendment. Um, it was true that in most cases, courts took the position that it's better for the child to return to the family and for the parents to take care of the the child. And so if you put the the parent who committed abuse in custody, then who's going to look after the child? The child has to be either sent to an institution, find some relative who can look after the child or or something. And so um, although the law... When you look at it in the other, wider context of you know, punishment for other crimes, you can't really say that uh, punishment for child abuse crimes are, are lenient. But certainly um, the courts haven't really been enforcing to the maximum extent that they could have. Um, but after these uh, sentencing guideline amendments in 2018, the rule is that uh, the, the norm should be that they actually meet out custodial sentences uh, rather than suspended sentences. And so if you look at the data from 2019, I think you will find that the percentage has moved somewhat. Um, You you mentioned in the notes that uh, even though the guidelines may have been strengthened, Mm. uh, and uh, you do see now, uh, you're saying subsequently from 2018, 2019, 2020, we'll see that probably the percentage of uh, actual uh, prison sentences being Mm. uh, meted out uh, would have increased. But uh, there is a maybe conservatism, and we're saying small c conservatism among the judges that there is a tendency to uh, perhaps try to uh, 
as extenuating circumstances allow to keep the family family intact. You did say that this has really not, you don't believe it has anything to do with Confucianism, but isn't there sort of that kind of that bloodline type of factor involved with that? It's got a lot to do with patriarchy, but that doesn't really have, um, you know, that's not directly related to Confucianism because um, even in other societies where uh, Christianity was was the the state religion, for example, um, you still had lots of similar cases of child abuse. And it really stems from the fact that uh, parents uh, still see children as an extension of themselves and object to be controlled. Um, And part of that education, they believe, includes corporal punishment. And I think, you know, last week when we discussed it, you sort of also seemed to kind of make this objection, well, what if, you know, our parents give a light smacking to small children uh, to make sure that they uh, are paying attention or as as a, a means of warning them not to do it again? Um, this might be the most effective and efficient way to essentially stop them from engaging in uh, undesirable behavior. Because did, did I say that? No, not, not to, in so many okay. words, um, but you... Uh, mentioned that you know lots of parents see it as part of educating the children to uh, to mm. give that kind of punishment, um, and in a way that had been ex- accepted norm in in most countries. In, in fact, in probably all of the nations on, on earth. But uh, the thing is, you know, would you, uh, for example, if you had subordinates at work? Would you punch them because they're right. not listening to you? Um, would you cane them because they didn't do their work properly? Um, that was the case uh, in certain aspects of uh, Korean society in uh, other organizations. Y- you I'm, are absolutely right. You, you know, even the, on the adult level. Yes, um, I, names like Yang Jin Ho comes to mind, um, where physical violence in workplace yeah. uh, did did uh, happen, but that's strictly against the law, obviously. Um, and although there are countries that still retain, you know, caning and stoning and th- that kind of a country that punishment. used to reside in, and uh, that I also used to reside <laughs> yes. in, it was shocking. And and to, um, yeah, you, it sort of reminded me of um, Foucault and you know crime and punishment because it's really a sign of. Uh, the the ruler or the state being able to have complete control over the body of its subject. Mm. And this is why medieval kings used to hold public executions and torture to show, you know, how powerful uh, the king was and how what, what an absolute control and power that the king had over his subjects. But um, basically, you know, corporal punishment by parents um, uh, meted out to the children is, is also a... Another sort of aspect of this kind of control that parents right. have over right. the children, but if we respect that children are human beings with you know uh, that are deserving of human dignity and respect, then we shouldn't be uh, you know using this kind of punishment, even if it right. it's ostensible to. ostensibly to educate them. And just to clarify, last week I did not uh, say I condoned um, slapping kids around. I was just saying that we all, a lot of us brought up, including myself personally, uh, of right, being exactly. spanked uh, quite often. Uh, and so that mentality kind of filters through. And I think you mentioned subsequent generations who are beaten tend to also feel that it is acceptable. And so there is something in grade where you think, okay, um, 
uh, physical punishment or discipline is part of raising a kid, although now society has evolved yes, to the exactly. extent where it is uh, not considered acceptable and in, indeed is now considered illegal to do so. In, in many countries. And in fact, um, Sweden is the first country to actually... Uh, prohibit uh, physical punishment of children altogether. They uh, made it explicitly against the law back in 1979 and forbade it altogether. But it still took more than a generation for the Swedes to Mm. change their attitude. So, for example, back in 1979, uh, more than 90% of Swedish people believed that it was okay to you know, hit their children if it's to, you know, correct oh, wow. their behavior. Okay, right? even Sweden. Yeah, even Sweden. Um, yeah. And then they did a report about 10 years ago, so th- after 30 years of having that law, and they found that now less than 10% of people believe that it's okay. Mm. And so you saw a gradual change in people's attitude over time. And so this is why preventing uh, child abuse is such a difficult issue because unless you change the fundamental attitudes that are held by people, it's not going to work because this happens usually within a private space in the domestic uh, area. And you can't intrude so much on people's privacy to the extent that you are always surveilling them, right? So uh, this is why I think shared responsibility for everybody in the society is so important to detect and to prevent this kind of abuse. Well, in terms of prevention, um, the, the idea of recidivism, right, where, mm-hmm. um, you know, certain countries feel, okay, you, you, you have some punitive measure, you can put them in prison, or you can put them in horrific conditions like we see in the US with this now kind of privatized prison system, right. or you can use the mm-hmm. more Scandinavian model of where you, you treat the, the prisoners with dignity, and you find that the recidivism rate are lower. Do you feel that uh, extra legal type of methods like therapy or type of things could go a long way with help preventing abuse as well? So I think... Um, First of all, if you make it very clear that if you hit a child, then you are facing facing a prison sentence, I think that's going to be a really big deterrence. But right now, that simply isn't, you know, the case at all. So people think, oh, well, you know, um, it's okay. They're not going to put me in jail for this. And this is my child. So I can do, you know, what I feel is necessary for him. But uh, again, coming back to Swedish example, uh, the fact that, you know, you were basically automatically sent to jail if you, you know, uh, physically uh, hit, you know, physically sort of injured the child, then that was a big deterrence. But um, as we said, the causes of child abuse is really complicated. You know, it can be due to... um, things on the part, factors that affect the parent. It can be due to factors that affect the child. And it can also be due to factors that arise from our society and the economic situation. And so just coming back to the Changyang case, for example, um, we have seen some of the social uh, SNS postings written by the mother where she was talking about how she um, basically had to punish the the eldest child, the nine-year-old girl who escaped, Um, because she was being disobedient. And so she first gave her, you know, 10 um, sort of beatings with a rod or something, and then it increased up to 100. I mean, imagine beating a nine-year-old girl 100 times. And she was actually writing about this on her social network um, uh, posting. And the fact that she's disclosing it shows that she didn't really think that it was something to be, you know, to be hidden or something that she couldn't talk about or something to be embarrassed or ashamed about. So uh, 
there's definitely something wrong with the the attitude that these parents sure. have. But at the same time, the even um, uh, the experts were commenting that the mother had been going through uh, you know postnatal depression. Uh, she's actually you know quite young, only I think 27 or mm. so, with you know. Um, You know, four children under the age of 10, including yeah. one uh, newborn. Her husband, uh, the stepfather, he doesn't have a secure job. He, you know, um, basically is a day labor- laborer who's always having to seek uh, work. Right. And with the COVID-19 situation, everybody being stuck at home um, with all the responsibilities of caring, falling on the mother 24-7, uh, you know, It's natural that the mother gets stressed, and where she, that, does she take out her stress? The children, and particularly the eldest girl. And so, it's really a a complicated and complex uh, problem that's compounded by the environment and the circumstances. Mm. When we then talk about uh, if if we can be stricter with uh, a deterrence with with the the parents who are perpetrators and commit these horrific acts, do we have a, uh, a social? structure a a safe net in place for these kids to have an outlet to go somewhere i know that you know we we talk about child services in in countries like the u.s where they are automatically placed in let's say foster care which not necessarily is an ideal situation Mm. as well but are are there ways that we can improve the korean system yeah you know in a way i mean you refer to the u.s system and in a way i i sometimes think that they just go overboard uh, with with the child protective services and uh, they separate the child even where the the parent still has the capacity and the ability and the willingness to look Mm -hmm. after the the children. Uh, And that's not always good for the the welfare of the child. Um, In Korea, so there is a a legal obligation for certain types of people, um, people who are engaged in uh, providing care uh, and instruction to children in in particular, like school teachers, um, uh, kindergarten teachers, uh, uh, police officers, welfare workers, social workers, etc. They have a duty to report if they suspect that their child abuse is going on. Although there is also a general um, obligation on everybody else, you know, every every other member of society to to report such a uh, thing as well. But, um, you know, if those people who have the legal duty to report neglects their duty, they are actually subject to a fine, whereas the general population isn't. So that's a difference. Um, But with this Changyong case also, uh, the family was actually categorized as an at-risk family because of the mental health um, history of the the mother uh, and the fact that, you know, Uh, it was a family with um, you know, such, so many small children and the stepfather. And there had been some instances uh, that had been uh, you know, raised in the previous place where they lived, Goje, she. Uh, mm. But when they moved from Goje to Changnyeong, uh, because of personal information protection uh, issues, they didn't provide any of the relevant information to the Changnyeong. Uh, welfare uh, system that's you know sort of provided under the in the city, yeah. and so they had absolutely no idea of you know what the girl's situation was, and um, you know had they known, the school teachers might have paid extra attention to what was happening and perhaps checked up on her um, while this you know sort of online you know classes were ongoing during the COVID 19 period. But um, although. You know, there were numerous opportunities to actually detect the abuse. The system really failed. Right, because if you have, let's say, um, uh, a pedophile uh, or a sexual, uh, a convicted 
sexual uh, abuser, that mm-hmm. is a there is a nationwide like system that will alert equivalent of Megan's law, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That that will happen. Uh, there does seem to be, unfortunately, a little bit of a. A case of see no evil, hear no evil among members of the Korean community. Remember that horrific case of that girl who was basically her body was in a bathtub the entire time in the apartment. And people did not even take notice. The teachers Mm. did not report this. or For a long period of time, people just did not really turn another eye when they just did not. They noticed that uh, this kid just was not turning up. And so uh, it does seem to be, as you say, a societal uh, responsibility here. And and I guess you do because um, we're getting towards the end here. But in the last few minutes... Uh, of what the uh, kind of community can do about this. Uh, There are, of course, the legal questions and and issues that you've addressed, but uh, you do have a poignant example. Once again, I I guess we keep citing Sweden as this kind of example to to be... um, They've had the most experience. Uh, But uh, you do recount a very interesting anecdote of a person who was able to take matters into their own hands and able to handle the situation, perhaps not through a judge or through an enforcement authority and, and maybe able to affect change. Uh, I I don't know if that's scalable, but uh, it does seem like an interesting uh, anecdote to recount. Right. I mean, you you mentioned about, you know, intervention by people around uh, them and the general society, but it really takes courage to kind of stick your nose in other people's business, um, particularly when it comes to raising children, right? Um, But so the Swedish media uh, sort of commemorating this 30th anniversary of abolition of corporal punishment did a series of articles um, about, you know, uh, what individuals can do. And uh, this reported an 18-year-old girl called uh, Johanna. Uh, She was walking, you know, outside and heard some shrieks from a garden where there was a father hitting his son. And the man, the father, was probably you know three times the size of you know Johanna, who who was just out walking, but she just rushed straight in and and said, um, you know, she saw the father pushing the boy, uh, aged maybe about nine, away, and so she you know said to him, it's against the law to do what you're doing, you know, to the father because it was obviously prohibited to hit the child, and the man told her, you know, don't stick your nose where it doesn't belong. It's other people's business. Hitting children is necessary to educate them. You don't have any children yourself, so how would, what would you know about you know, educating and bringing up a child? Don't tell me what, how to raise my children. Mm. And she said it hasn't been so long that she, she was a child herself. Mm. Uh, her parents didn't hit her, and she didn't turn out so bad. And then she said to him, you know, you have a lovely son, and your son is a role model And hearing that, the father calmed down Mm. and he admitted that, I know it's wrong, but sometimes it's so hard. So he was admitting that, you know, it was really his stress that he was kind of taking out on the boy rather than the boy really deserving punishment. And so, um, you know, even afterwards, uh, the the lady, Johanna, said that she was proud of the way she acted and she would do it again if similar uh, situation occurred. And... Uh, it really sort of shows that it needs requires personal courage for all of us to intervene in this kind of situation, even if you know you are going to be told, well, don't stick your nose in, and yeah. even if you, there is a chance that you might be wrong, you still need to sh- should act rather than simply neglect. Yeah, and it it, it comes down to uh, human compassion, empathy. 
and this idea that kids, uh, you do want them to be healthy, you do want them to be safe. Um, it, it's not just about how well they do in the sunung ultimately after, after they become a high school senior, uh, but it is just their emotional well-being as well. And right. It's all tied Compulsory into. parental education. Right. <laughs> this is what I advocate for. And, and for if the priority was curriculum. placed there, um, yes. the, perhaps uh, a lot of us would be uh, better off. Well, uh, Professor Cho, uh, thank you once again uh, for bringing us this uh, two-part series. Uh, always appreciate your insights and look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank, thank you very you. much.